You turn in your Bibles to John chapter 2. We'll finish up chapter 2 before we move on to chapter 3 next Sunday. Message I've entitled Cleaning God's House. Now, at first glance, when you look at this particular passage, it's almost, I don't know how this applies to me personally. And that's most likely because the exact same problem that will be had by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and those listening to Jesus and watching what he does will have that same exact understanding. They'll be looking at the outside instead of examining the inside. They'll be looking at the physical instead of reminding themselves of the spiritual implications of what Jesus is about to do. As we turn our attention to the word, would you join me and let's pray and ask God to speak through the power of his word. Father, again, we are grateful that we now relate to you by grace and through faith. Lord, that you've saved us, Lord, not on our own merits, but on the merits of Jesus. But God, we also recognize that your standard, Lord, your holiness has not changed. You still alone are enthroned in the heavens as the holy God. God, we pray that you'd help us, Lord, with our own personal house cleaning today. Lord, many of us have some dirty corners of our closets Lord, some areas in our life that need your attention. And we pray that you'd speak to us now. Help us to clean up our own homes. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 12 here in John 2 as we finish up chapter 2. And after this, he went down to Capernaum. So remember, he's at Cana. He's traveled through the mountains, his hometown, uh, where he lived with his parents of Nazareth, uh, his place of his birth in, in Bethlehem. Uh, So he's in the center of the northern uh, portion of what is modern-day Israel. And so he's going to leave Cana, this little kind of hamlet that's just below Nazareth on the road down to the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Sits at about 1,500 feet of elevation. He's going to travel down to Capernaum on the sea, which is almost 700 feet below sea level. So he goes down to Capernaum. He, his mother, his brothers, his disciples... And they did not stay there for many days. So this is almost like a little kind of blip on the radar screen. Jesus is heading to where he has headquartered his ministry, to where he would do almost all of the miracles that we'll see recorded throughout the Gospel of John. Uh, He'll record there the Sermon on the Mount, just a little above Capernaum on the hillside there. Uh, But he's only going to stay in that region for just a couple of days. He's going to travel those 24 miles, and then he'll turn right around uh, within a couple days' time, and he'll head 85 miles to Jerusalem, to the south and to the west. And now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So he's below sea level, nearly 700 feet. He'll travel along the Jordan River, River Valley down to Jericho. He'll then take the Jericho Road into Jerusalem. And he's going to travel up that 2,800 or so feet to the top of Mount Scopus and then to Jerusalem to the Temple Mount, uh, which is below that mountain top. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And we'll get to the setting of this time in just a moment. 
But you can kind of see the picture. The temple there on the Temple Mount, the temple courts, the court of the Gentiles, the court of women, the court of men, the holy place, the, the naos, this compound that was the, the holiest place in the entire world because it was there that the Jewish people met with God. It was there where people were able to meet the one true, the living God. And so he's at the temple in Jerusalem and he sees something he doesn't like. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep, the oxen, and poured out all, poured out all the changers' money and overturned their tables. And he said to those who sold the doves, take these things away. And do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And then he said to his disciples, for they remembered that it was written, a zeal for your house has eaten me up. It's quoting from the 69th Psalm, which is a messianic psalm. And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple. You see, because he'd been asked a question. That question's found there in verse 18. The Jews answered and said, what sign do you show us since you do these things? You, you just flipped over the money changers' tables. Who gives you the power? Who gives you the authority? Why would you do such a thing? And he answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. They're zeroing in on the things that he's doing. They're not zeroing in on the message he's trying to teach them. And then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. Notice how they missed it. It's going to be very clear what Jesus is getting at. He's not speaking about the literal building, this beautiful edifice built by Herod over 46 years, taking that second temple. Uh, the first temple is destroyed. Ezra comes back and begins work on rebuilding the temple. And now Herod has taken this uh, once rather meager temple and expanded it. it is the probably most beautiful building in the entire world at the time. And so they're looking at this building. Jesus is standing right in front of it, no doubt uh, in the court of the Gentiles because that's where this takes place. And you'll raise it up in three days? You by yourself? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. And therefore, when he had risen from the dead, which obviously is going to be later at the end of this book, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus said. So here in these verses, first we have to have the cultural context. And as you look at this, at this time that Jesus is referring to, the temple and the temple compound, the whole holy place, known as the naos, was not just this building, though there was a central building, and in it, that building divided into two places. One, the holy place, which contained this giant candelabra on the left-hand side, this giant menorah. There was a giant curtain that stretched across the holy of holies, dividing it from the holy place, and in front of that was an altar of incense that would burn continually, a place where prayers were offered, holiness was expected, and as you came in through the door, on the right-hand side, there was a table, and on it, 12 loaves of bread, one for each of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. 
But Jesus wasn't just talking about the building. He wasn't talking about the court of sacrifice, which would have been outside of the doors of the main building. There the bronze laver filled with water for cleansing, the sacrificial altar where all the burnt sacrifices took place. He wasn't talking about the court of men or the court of women. He's out in the court of the Gentiles, which was the only place in the whole compound where you could go if you were not a Jewish person. And it was there that the Jewish people had an opportunity to introduce those who came to the one true God. And so it was there in that place that Jesus finds these money changers. You see, to pay the temple tax, to go into the courtyard, to offer a sacrifice, to give something to the priest, to offer up before the Lord, you needed to have the right animal, you needed to have the right kind of money. And so what had happened was people had actually set up a form of business right smack dab where the Lord's holiness should have been the only thing that they saw. Exchanging money, selling animals, offering to pay for prayers. And Jesus sees this and he, he literally flips the tables on them. You see, every Jewish man, regardless of age, so long as he was alive... If he lived in that region, it was expected that three times a year he would travel to Jerusalem. One of those times would be Passover. The other would be Pentecost. Uh, and then finally, the, the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. So the people were constantly coming. And it was a very lucrative business. Because people had to come to the temple. It was the only place that God met with them. But what they failed to recognize was God wasn't looking at the outside of the building. God wasn't concerned with this giant edifice that was this huge temple. He wasn't looking at the gold-gilded exterior. He was looking at the interior. And what no one was told that was inside of the Holy of Holies there had not been an Ark of the Covenant for nearly 700 years. When the children of Israel were taken away into captivity, those goods were stolen by the Babylonians. There was no mercy seat. There was no Ark of the Covenant. There was no Aaron's rod that budded. There was no pot of manna. There was no presence of the Lord. But it sure looked good on the outside. Many people come to church hoping that God will only look at what's on the outside. All that was inside of the Holy of Holies was a rock about that high. That same rock still exists today. It sits underneath the dome of the rock on the Temple Mount. You see, people were looking at the outside of the building instead of considering what was inside the building. And Jesus understood that. And so they were making preparations for everything to be in order. And you've met these people. Perhaps you're here today and maybe you might be thinking, well, Pastor Jeff, what are you saying? I'm saying that there are people who speak fluent Christianese 
I'm saying that there are people who come to church and they carry a Bible, but that Bible you couldn't wedge it open if you tried because it hasn't been opened in years. I'm saying there are people that when they come here, it's all, hi, praise the Lord, brother. Praise the Lord, sister. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. But inside, it's the very same thing that Jesus will say eventually. It's a whitewashed sepulcher, but inside is dead men's bones. You see, God wants an actual clean inside. He wants the house cleaned up, family. He wants our lives internally to be as he is. And here's why all of this needs to be said. And I recognize, you know, I'm probably on everybody's, you know, I don't know if I'm going to go back there again. Keeps talking about tough things. Look, Scripture talks about tough things. Because God's character has not changed. God is not one iota less holy than he was when he penned the Ten Commandments and gave them to Moses. He's not a bit less holy than that. He's exactly the same yesterday, today, and forever, his word says. So when God's character is in question... We have to consider what God considers to be his character, not what we would like it to be because we live in a day and time when God's character has been knocked down to the dirt by an awful lot of people. God's still holy. And he desires for us to live holy lives. He wants us to be holy. Now, praise God, we relate to him by grace now, amen? By grace and through faith you have been saved. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. But he isn't any less holy than he used to be. You see, he hasn't come down to our level. We're supposed to go up to his. And so Jesus sees all this business going on in God's house. But he's very upset by it. Because it was God's character that was in question. You see, people began to think, well, you know, if I go to the temple, I'm going to get ripped off. I'm going to be lied to. I'm going to be deceived. And so those unbelieving Gentiles who did not believe in the one true God were coming in, believing they were going to find holiness. Instead, they found a bad deal on an ugly dove. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, puts it this way. For us, right now, today. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. And rest your hope fully on the grace that is to, to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, you were saved by grace. The revelation of Jesus came into your life. And you became a child of God. But make no mistake, just because you're saved by grace does not mean that you can cheapen grace by living a life that is displeasing to God. Notice what Peter says. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. You see, when you didn't know God, you did all kinds of things. You didn't know any better. Matter of fact, you probably thought it was okay. 
Most people, when you talk to them about their pre-Christ experience in life, they'll say, I really didn't know it was wrong to do fill-in-the-blank X. But what does Peter say? But as he who called you is holy. This is the New Testament. You also be holy in all your conduct. Every last bit of it. That's your heart, your mind, your actions, your words. The life that you live, every aspect of it. Every corner of your house because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, amen? Every corner of your house is supposed to be clean and holy. And you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. You see, it's that context that Jesus does what he does here in this chapter. He doesn't come in and go, well, you know, I mean, a little bit of dirt's okay. He doesn't come in, well, you're only, you're only ripping off Gentiles. I mean, come on. The reason God created Gentiles was to pay retail. That's a Jewish joke from my Jewish friend, Jeff. You see, there are a lot of things that you could look at and go, well, you know, I mean, come on, I'm 87.4% holy. That's a pretty high, that's an A. Great on a curve, that's an A. I must be holy. No, holiness is relative to God's character and God's nature. It is what he decides, not what we decide to bring it down to. It's what he actually is. And he's 100% holy, and we're supposed to be 100% holy. Not 94.6, not 98.7. We're supposed to shoot at, try and be 100% like he is. And so Jesus sees this mess that's going on and he declares war he hates dirty houses the hypocritical religious person that's sitting there saying well god's got to accept this This is the best we can do he says oh no this is god's house and we need to treat god's house like god's house and then he makes sure that they don't misunderstand what he's talking about And he says, I'm not actually concerned about the building. So if you want to know what house I'm really talking about, I'm talking about the house that is my body because you're going to be part of it because now you are in Christ, amen? And Christ is in you. The very name that you bear as a Christian means little Christ. It means a small image of the big one. It means that as we wander around and people find out we're Christians, our actions are supposed to always point them towards Christ. Now, before anybody loses hope right now, remember that these things are not done in your own flesh, nor by your own ability. But because we now have the true and the living God dwelling in us, we are capable because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen? And without him, we can do nothing. Amen? So it really is on him, but we have to say, Lord, you can clean my house. 
Now, if you have dogs, we have a couple of Labradors, and, and I, I don't know how it is you have a dog that weighs 75, 80 pounds, and they can produce 400 pounds of hair, but they can and so you can take your Swiffer and you can wander around. You can follow them actually all day and just get your dust buster out and suck it up. But what will happen is you'll, you'll open a closet that you haven't opened in a week or so. And there in the corner is enough hair to make a garment. And the reason that is, is because you weren't looking in the closet. You were okay with people coming through the front door and looking at the rest of your house and seeing that, well, it looks pretty clean. God cares about your closet corners. God's concerned with your windowsills. You ever met one of those people that actually have one of those homes where you actually, you go looking through, you know, you know how it is. You, you walk over to their house and go, oh, it looks pretty good, but you check their windowsills. Yeah, I can see you guys do it too. You kind of want to see if the whole house is like that. God's looking at your whole house. Every little thought, every little motivational factor, every action, every word, he wants your whole house clean. He wants your whole house to, to match up to his status. He doesn't want it to be a religious market where you accept whatever. And he surely does not want it to be as the temple was at this time, Ichabod, the glory of the Lord had departed. Well, he asks him a question. Who do you think you are? He gives him the one sign he always gives him. The sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, I'm really not talking about the building. I'm not talking about this thing that Herod built over 46 years. I'm talking about my body. And he says, and then I'll raise it up after three days. You see, that's kind of the way we function sometimes. We function on the, in, in the world in, in that sense. We, we look at things practically. We say, well, I'm doing better with this. When the whole time the Lord's trying to get to our heart. He's, he's not so much worried about the exterior of your building. He's worried about the interior of your building. How many people's exteriors are beautiful, but inside it's a rock. How many people have a beautiful exterior? Oh, they speak with all the right words, but inside is a heart of stone. And that stone's not even clean. God sees all that. He knows those things that we harbor. He knows the stuff that we cling to. He knows what's been going on behind the scenes of our lives. And he wants that clean too. So in a manner of making an example, Jesus flips these tables over. You see, because Jesus wasn't worried about, he couldn't care less about the feasts in that sense. Though he being a Jew would have actually participated in them. He says, if these feasts are just a guise, if they're just a ruse, if these outward actions have become something that you're hiding behind, then forget those. 
So there's no doves, so there's no animals for you to slaughter. I would rather that you get the bigger thing, which is I care about your heart. I want your life to be right. You see, basically, they were worried about the wrong temple. They were worried about having all the little tidbits, pieces, and parts externally taken care of when inside they were in desperate trouble. He's going to clean this temple again. In Matthew 21, you see it a second time. And I want you to think on that for a second because it gives us a little insight as we wrap up in a little bit. But you see, there was a legal system that involved all these sacrifices. And they were precise. I mean, it was like you got to have the right thing at the right time. And Jesus was saying, look, you, you got all the right things at the right time, but what you don't have is the right reason. You don't have the right heart. On the outside, you're doing something that looks good, but on the inside, you got the wrong motivation. In essence, they were worried about retail and not righteousness. You see, they, they, they had all the temple court parts correct they're making sure all this happened out in the court of the gentiles wouldn't want to defile the court of men don't want to get that into the court of women it happens out there in the court of the gentiles they're all lost anyway they were so worried about that by the way if you were to transgress as a gentile from the court of the gentile into the court of men or the court of women it was punishable by death that's how seriously they took the rules Jesus couldn't have cared less about the rules. He was worried about their own personal righteousness. He wasn't looking at how they did what they did. He was looking at the reasons why they did it in the first place. You see, what began as righteousness ended up being nothing more than a retail enterprise. Don't let that be your faith, family. Don't make church just another thing you do. Make church something you are. Be ye holy, for he is holy. And to that end, sometimes we kind of need the old uh, oxyclean of Jesus. We need some help every once in a while, amen? I don't know, maybe you don't, I do. Because every once in a while I get those little stains that I'm kind of okay with. You ladies know what I'm saying. Us guys, we're, we're not too big on this. But you know what I'm saying. You, got, you put down that new rug. We've got these rugs, one in our living room and one in our dining room. They're exactly the same. How we put those things down. And I've gotten to where I look at one, I look at the other and go, that mark is not on that rug. It's a stain. And so I go over there and I scrub it and I get my OxyClean. I know, I'm weird, but it's for the purpose of illustration. So I'm scrubbing that spot. You know what happens? I didn't make a clean spot in the dirty rug. Now I've got a real, I've got to clean the whole rug. So God's not worried about just cleaning up a little spot. He wants to clean the whole rug. Amen? He wants our whole life clean. So sometimes you've got to do a little spot cleaning, and sometimes you need to do the whole rug.
Here's a way to do the whole rug. Look, if you want to have a clean house, you need to stay in the presence of the Lord. Too many Christians wander around in the presence of the world and they think that they're going to be holy. You are not going to be holy. I'm watching the Dodger game. Go blue. I'm watching the Dodger game and I'm like, honey, give me the remote because I've got to turn all the commercials off when they come on. It's like, I don't want to see this stuff. I'm just trying to watch a baseball game. And my brain is assaulted with the insanity of this world. Do you care about that kind of stuff? Does it bother you? It should. Because if it doesn't, you've let a money changer into your house. You see, you want to be in God's presence. Whatever you do, you should be able to have Jesus riding shotgun. You should be able to be sitting there with the Lord watching a ball game. And I know he's a Dodger fan. <laughs> Just saying. He's to hope, help Cody Bellinger right now, but I digress. But you want to be in the presence of the Lord, amen? If you're not in the presence of the Lord, then you're going to be in the presence of someone or something. And that someone or something might well be another money changer or another seller of stuff. You, you see, you don't want to just show up at God's house every once in a while. You want to be in God's house all the time. Let me be really clear with number two. God is 100% holy. And he is absolutely pure. And that's what he wants for you and me. But sometimes what happens is we've learned to accept a certain amount of money changers dwelling with us. Maybe a little bit, little, little bit of language. Maybe a little bit of bitterness or a little bit of anger or a little bit of hatred. Or maybe we've allowed a little bit of the carnality of this world to infect us. Perhaps it's alcohol or drugs or maybe some pornography. You can have all kinds of things. But God wants us to be 100% pure like he is 100% pure. So don't lower the standards so that you accept a certain level of money changers in your house. Flip over the table Submit yourself to God. Do what James 4 says. Resist the devil and the devil will flee. But if you say, hey, could you just set that up over there? You know, as long as you're not in the living room, I'm okay with you being in my house. Just set up your money changers table over there in the corner. I don't want to have to step around it when I come through the front door. You see, a lot of people treat their sin that way. As long as it's not in the forefront, it's actually okay. Don't cheapen the grace of God by dumbing down the holiness of God and consequentially the holiness we're supposed to have. Thirdly, how about a jealous passion? Look, if you're watching the game and you, people got their faces blue, they spent a jillion dollars on jerseys, and they're screaming and yelling at the top of their lungs... Can I tell you that Jesus is just exactly that jealous times an infinite amount for you, for your life, all of it. He wants you to win. He is passionate about holiness in the life of his people. Be passionate with him. 
care about your own life. Make sure that you hold the same passion that Christ holds for you with this regard. Because if you learn to live with the junk in your life, the money changers tables in your life, you will not be all that God wants you to be. Now notice I didn't say you're going to lose your salvation. I didn't say you'll be out of the kingdom of God. But you will not be as useful as you should be. And you will not have the blessings you should have. If you want God's best, you must give him all of you. And then finally, remember, it's his power. If you've got a lame area in your life, if you've got a blind area in your life, if you've got a sick area in your life, if you've got a dead area in your life, the only one that can heal it is him. Let him do it. Give it to him. Submit that money changer's table to the Lord. Paul actually put it this way in Colossians 3. He said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and teaching, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart. You you see, when we submit ourselves to God, then he will do what he wants to do. But if you try and stay in control, if you want to run the, the show yourself, God will let you do that. He's given you free will and choice. But what he wants to do is come in and help you with those things. Because see, eventually he will do exactly what he did right here in this scenario. Because God is so zealous for holiness in your life, he will flip over that table for you. He'll turn your life upside down in order to get your attention. For those who have had that experience, say amen. 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 Your pastor is saying amen. I've had God flip over places in my life and saying, I'm not okay with that, Jeff. That bitterness is going to go right now. I'm not going to let you do it. You can't hang on to it anymore. I'm turning it over. But Lord, let him do what he wants to do. You see, what God wants for you is his perfection. There's a sad thing that goes on in this because we will see in later, if we were to read the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. In Matthew's Gospel, in the 21st chapter, guess what Jesus has to do again? He's got to turn over some more money changers tables couldn't possibly be the same time because it's after uh, he's done all kinds of other miracles you know what that tells me one by one those money changers came right back in now i doubt they did it right away and i know they did it with with the permission of those who were there can i tell you that satan's going to try and do that in your life Satan is going to say that one table's okay. The enemy's going to tell you, you know what, you're 84% good, that's a B plus. Satan's going to tell you, oh look, you're 87.6, you're an A. I mean, most of your friends are D minuses. Come on, get off your own case. When God's saying, I don't want a single money changer, and here's why. 
because one money changer led to two and two to three and three to four and who knows how many the second time Jesus actually flipped over but here's what happens when you make peace with the devil you can count on more of his minions coming into your house so when you give in to alcohol you're likely to give in to pornography and a illicit sexual relationship and drugs when you give in to thievery you may give in to anger and murder and bitterness you're you're going to allow the enemy to bring the money changers tables right back into your house to where either you will have to flip them over again or jesus will do it for you you don't want that i don't want that for you god is zealous for us to take care of his house Let's make sure we do that. Let's make sure we've flipped over the tables. Let's make sure that we've made sure there's no one setting up in our living room. That, that there isn't anything that, that is there that shouldn't be there. You know, the secret to all this is don't get dirty in the first place. Resist the devil, and he will flee, James 4 says. The reason being, God wants a clean house. He can do a lot of wonderful things in a clean house. If we give him a dirty house, you know what he has to do? He has to spend all his time cleaning up the house. And you know what it's like when you have to clean up the house before you can get anything else done. You don't get anything else done. The same is true in your spiritual life. If you're constantly going back and forth, cleaning up messes because you let the messes accumulate, you will accomplish nothing for the Lord. So let's keep a clean house. Amen? Would you stand with me and we'll pray? I want to pray for you, with you. And I'm sure that some of you are going, well, I could have skipped that message. But it's one we all need. Because every once in a while we let stuff into our lives that shouldn't be there. That's all I'm with you. I don't chastise you. I'm just saying let God clean your house up. Let him take out the oxyclean, get rid of the stains. If he needs to, do the whole carpet. If you've got to open up every cabinet and make sure there's nothing in there, do it. Because he loves us and he wants to use us for his glory. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you that by grace, through faith, we've been saved. But we've been saved unto good works. Lord, holiness. And we pray that just like the high priest of old, Lord, we could have on our foreheads holiness unto the Lord. Pray that you would bless us as we surrender our, our lives to you, Lord. We pray if there's anything that needs to go, you'd help us to get rid of it. Lord, help us to have a yard sale to get rid of the junk in our house. Help us to clean the closets and wipe down the windowsills. Lord, to do the little things so that we, we can be used for big things. Pray that you would bless us, Lord, as we endeavor. Give us the Spirit's power to accomplish all that needs to be done. We bless your name for being kind and gentle. Help us to live lives that look a whole lot like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.